Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You go through grief when you lose, you, you lose your health, or you go through grief when you, you lose a dog. It's not the same, but it's still grief. There's different levels of grief that are out there. You go through grief in a breakup. Maybe you were engaged to someone and you, that you broke up and you go through grief. And we should identify it as such. If you've ever lost anyone close to you or you're grieving a significant loss of some sort in your life, please stay with us for a very special edition of Practical Christian Living. Today, Pastor Robert shares some very personal and precious details from his grief journey after losing his first wife, Lisa, to lung cancer. There is hope in our grief because of Jesus. Because He conquered death and lives today, we can face tomorrow and know that He holds us during the darkest times. With a passage and an intimate teaching out of John chapter 11, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for the time that we can spend covering your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message is Jesus Helps the Grieving. I have a subtitle, How to Survive Grief. And I want to do three things. I want to tell you my story. I know many of you know my story, but I may share some details that you don't know. I also want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about grief. And there's about 12 scriptures. You're going to want to be ready to take notes because I'm going to go through it fast. And then we're going to cover Jesus dealing with grief because he allowed two sisters to go deeply into grief and then came and ministered to them in their grief. And we learned so much about how we can help people who are grieving. So this is going to do two things. This is going to help those of you that are, are going through the grieving process now or are going to go through it. And this is going to help us learn how we can come alongside of people who are grieving. Because when someone's grieving, it, it can be awkward. And we can end up saying the wrong thing. And we can end up hurting and not helping. So in 1980, I met my, my wife, Lisa. She uh, was up in the front of a church worshiping. The church that we went to during the worship session, people would come down to the front and raise their hands and worship. And I had met her a day or two before that. But then I saw her get up and walk to the front. And I thought, she's cute. And I, I went up and I stood beside her and had my hands raised, but I was asking God, can I marry this girl? And God answered my prayer. I don't know how she feels about that, but God answered my prayer and we were married in May of 1982. Two years later in 84, we had a daughter, Jessica, my oldest, and a year later, we packed them up and moved to Tucson so that we could start Calvary Tucson and we had six people at our very first meeting. And God, for the next 29 years, allowed us to minister, allowed Lisa to develop in the role of a pastor's wife and a woman's uh, ministry leader. And, and God just used us in incredible ways. And one of the things that we were privileged to be a part of was walking people through the grief process. I had to learn early what that was all about. I had the same tendencies. I wanted to go into a room and fire off a bunch of scriptures. I felt like I needed to give a little Bible study to people. So, and I had to learn, I did my own research on grief and what you go through and how to handle people when you go through grief. But nothing prepared me for what I would go through when I would face grief. In September of 2011, my wife was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. It was a devastating, devastating discovery. We had hope 
for the first eight months or so. We went to Arizona Oncology because U of A has the cutting edge, you know, treatments for cancer. And we thought, boy, there's a new targeted therapy and we're gonna use that. And it for, had results really quick, but it came back with a vengeance in June of 2012. So just what, eight months later or so. And we quickly began to face the reality that this was gonna be something that was much more difficult than we thought. I, I did not accept that she was going to die. But I realized after she died that she was going through her own grief process. She had grieved the loss of her health. She had grieved being separated from her family. We had a grandbaby born two months before she died. And when I would say to her, what do you want to do tonight? She would say, I want to go hold Evan. We would go over to Jessica's house and she would pick Evan up and she would hold him. She did that until the last week when she could no longer go out. I didn't recognize that. And I realized that you not only go through grief when you lose someone, but you go through grief when you lose, you, you lose your health or you go through grief when you, you lose a dog. It's not the same, but it's still grief. There's different levels of grief that are out there. You go through grief in a breakup. Maybe you were engaged to someone and you, that you broke up and you go through grief. And we should identify it as such. Then there is, is really horrible grief that has some, some PT, what is it, PT, SD? I think I had some of that. Because when, when Lisa died, even though I was ready by that point, we, she was in hospice, home hospice. And it was good that it was home hospice, but it was also hard. And I was taking care of her and, and she had told me four days earlier that she wanted me to be there when she died, next, next to her. We had her mom there, Praise the Lord that, that Sally came out and helped us because I don't know how I would have made it through without her. We had her brother-in-law and her sister that were there. And I said to her, how can I be by you 24 hours a day? Well, I got up on a, that Saturday morning and as she was getting more and more sick, she was curling up to her right. And she had a picture there. The last women's retreat they did was on heaven. And she had a picture there of the backdrop they used at the women's retreat. And she was curling towards that picture of heaven. And uh, I kind of gave her a drink. I used a syringe to give her a drink, you know, just in her mouth. It was easier than trying to get a glass up there. And then I straightened her up and I heard her kind of gasp. And I went around, I looked at her and I said, you all right? And she, she looked at me, then she had a shocked look in her face. And then she breathed out her last breath. That will always be a horrible thought and image for me. It will always be. It will never go away. Every time I think of that moment that she left, I will always feel that pain. So I started then my process down the grief road. And I never knew it would be so dark. I never knew that I would go into such depths of darkness in it. You would think that helping people in their grief, grieving with people, I think being good at coming alongside of people grieving, that I would know a little bit about what I was going to face but when I was going down that path for 29 years, I was just helping people. That's what I did. My life didn't have those things happen in it. But life turns on a dime. And I went down a road I would never have chosen to go down. But I went down that road anyway. And death invades our life. It's like it's not there. And then suddenly it invades and it is there. And we are in the middle of losing someone who we love that was close to us that we never wanted to. I tried to walk my kids down the process of grief and I didn't do a good job. Partially because I was just in grief myself. I got swallowed up in the darkness. I felt a lot of guilt. 
Someone had said to me, you know, you were the man of the family. If, uh, if you, you obviously didn't lead right or she wouldn't have been sick and died. Now, I didn't really didn't have guilt about her death. That wasn't really where my guilt lied. I just wanted to share some people can be jerks. And we got to be careful in the things that we say. We were going to realize that we don't want to say trite things. They're in the, the great fairway up in heaven playing golf. You don't know what I want to say to people like that. I would usually end up with a sarcastic thank you. Well, well, you know, God wanted her there more than you wanted her here. I would say, thanks. Just a little, I just can't help it. Just a little sarcastic thanks. The dark days that I went through were, were difficult and they were hard. I sat at home alone. I got back to teaching two weeks after she died. Not that it was good for me to do that, but what else was I going to do? I needed a distraction and that's a danger. You can get a distraction from your grief and you can get stuck in grief where you don't ever come out of it. You've got to go through it. People distract through medication, maybe prescribed medication. They, they self-medicate with alcohol. They get involved in something that they shouldn't get involved in. I know one guy that got heavily involved in gambling after his wife died. It was just a distraction for him. He just couldn't handle the grief and so he got distracted. I know others that have gotten deeply involved in pornography after never having a problem with it. They got deeply involved in it because it was a distraction. It numbed it. They didn't have to feel all of that pain. And that helps us, by the way. If you can ask yourself why you're doing something, if there's some destructive behavior in your life, there's an underlying reason you're doing it. Ask yourself, why am I doing it? Because maybe you can identify that and go, if I'm doing it because I'm bored, if I'm doing it because I'm grieving, then what do I need to change? What's the healthy way to do this instead of the non-healthy way to do this, instead of the destructive way to do this? And um, people tried to help. Some were good. Many weren't. The things that they said were just a little thoughtless. I think the, the most help that I had was a friend of mine. I was sitting in the backyard, I think the day after she died, by myself, and, and he came in the gate, he's pastor, and um, I nodded at him and he nodded at me and he came and he sat down in the chair next to me. And he didn't say anything. And I wasn't crying at the time. I did frequently those weeks afterwards. But I, did, well, I was just sitting there, just hands on my knees, staring. So he put his hands on his knees and he stared with me. And after a few minutes, I, I began to let him know what I was feeling. I just told him the thoughts I was having. And he began to minister to me, not because he came in with a preset of plans. This is what I'm going to say and this is what I'm going to... But because he stopped and listened and then he knew what I was going through. And he also... We have been given this great gift of empathy where we can feel what other people are feeling. Can you imagine if we didn't have that in life? And we can join people in their grief. And that is the most powerful, as we're going to see. I have remarried. I met Kathy a year and eight months after Lisa had died. At about a year and, and five, six months, I began to feel a little better. The darkness was lifting. And I'd gone through a lot of, my kids were really worried about me, by the way, in my darkness. Just, I just wasn't myself. And uh, I began to, 
see a, a gal at church that I was pretty sure was single and I would say things like, she's cute. And I realized something was changing and I realized I didn't want to be alone the rest of my life. I couldn't sit at home and watch TV every night. It was driving me crazy. And so Kathy came to the East Campus. Oh, I, by the way, I realized I couldn't date someone from the church. Because if I dated someone from the church and we broke up, half the church would leave. <laughs> right? Can't believe you treated her that way. And so I, uh, I had determined that I wasn't going to date anybody in the church. And um, it, would, it was a weird role anyway. You're a pastor of someone and then you're going to start dating them. It was just a weird transition to make. I'm not saying it can't be done or anybody that's done that is wrong. I'm just saying it was weird. So at about a year and eight months, Kathy came to the East Campus. And she now says that she kind of presented herself to me. She was like, I'm single, you're single, here I am. And um, she brought a friend with her and the friend asked me a question. I spent most of the time talking to her friend and she thought, oh no, he likes her. A couple days later, I looked her up on Facebook and I Facebook stalked every photo she had on. And I sent her a message and she said she screamed when she got the message, literally. And within a week, we had our first date and we went to Vivace's and we closed the place down. In fact, we, I looked over my shoulder and there were waiters and the manager huddling together trying to figure out which one was going to come tell us that we had to leave. And God brought joy back into my life. And people would say, once again, to see you happy, to see the joy return, the kindness, the cheerfulness, the jolliness, I call it, of Kathy, is what I need. One of the most painful things that people said when I developed a relationship with her, and this is family that was hurting still, so I don't judge them, but one of the most painful things that they said was, he's moved on, so okay. Okay, fine, he's moved on. As if it was some kind of a slap in the face of Lisa that I had someone else in my life. And I hate that term because you never move on. I spent 30 years of my life with her. Her attitude and heart developed who I am today. The person that Kathy fell in love with was shaped by the relationship that I had with Lisa for 30 years. And I will never move on from her. I have a wife who is tender about certain, on Lisa's birthday, she'll say, how are you doing? She's, she's not jealous, she's tender. She realizes that I haven't moved on and I never will. I will one day see her again. I, I prefer the term move forward. I've moved forward and I've moved forward with her. She's still alive. And I haven't abandoned her by, by marrying someone else. God's just allowed joy to return into my life. And we have to move forward because we can get stuck in grief and grief can be prolonged too long. And I want to talk about that in a moment. The average grief expert will say that grief lasts about a year which means that my lasted a little longer. And I'm really thankful for Skip Heitzig, who did Lisa's funeral. He's a friend of mine. He's the pastor of Calvary Albuquerque. And Skip said to me, grief for everybody is different. Don't get caught up in this thing that's going to be this one thing. And you grieve however long it takes you and you will go through the steps or the stages or whatever. You might skip some. And it's certainly true. Now, some things about grief before we get into what the Bible says about it. Just a few quick thoughts. You got to go through grief, it's necessary and it's natural. You are not unnatural because you are going through grief, even if it lasts a long time. A great loss takes a long time to recover for. 
And if there's trauma with that loss, even longer time because of the trauma that was associated with it. Some people have seen their children die in front of them in violent ways. That's, some people have had their kids murdered. Some people have had their spouses murdered. Those are circumstances that make grief even deeper. Great loss takes time to recover from. People grieve differently at different levels. The loss of loved ones, the loss of health, the loss of a job, a breakup of someone they love, loss of a pet. Again, it's different, but it's there and it's grief. All these cause different levels of grief that we go through. People can sometimes be helpful and people can sometimes be a hindrance. And I've talked to some about that. The things that people say, be careful not to be trite. Be careful not to think that you're coming in with a statement that's going to help them because your job is not to cheer them up. Your job is not to take away the darkness. Your job is to join them in their grief. Your job is to come in. And here's the crazy thing about it. When you join them in their grief and they begin to talk to you about what they miss. When people would ask me, start talking about Lisa, I would say, I miss the way she stared at a doorknob for a half an hour before she went to bed making sure it was locked. That she would say, will you check the doors because I can't and I would check the doors. I would go to bed. She would get up to check the doors. 20 minutes later, I would go out and she would be checking the door. I missed the way that she stood over the stove to make sure it was off with her hand over it for such a long time. I just need to make sure. And I'm like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Isn't it funny? It's the quirky things they did that we miss. And when we share that in the middle of their grief and they're sharing those things, we laugh together. And you're not really cheering them up for a moment. There's a momentary giggle and laugh and then the darkness returns. But your job isn't to cheer them up. It's to help them get through it. It's to be there with them and experience it with them to use the empathy that God has given you. The five stages of grief that were brought up 40 years ago, we've come a long way in, in grief uh, counseling since then. We know that these five stages are not five steps. It's like you're going, you're climbing out of it. Okay, you're in anger now. You're just two steps away. We know that grief is not like a staircase. It's like a roller coaster. It goes up and it goes down. We feel better and then we feel worse. We move forward and it's still going back around again and dive back down again. That's what grief is like. And the understanding the stages of grief can be helpful because we know what we're experiencing is normal. Denial. I felt like it wasn't real for a while. Guilt. I had a lot of that. Anger. I told God, you don't love us. You didn't love me. You didn't love her. I, told, I, I threw my hands out on the bed. And I said, God, I don't even want to live. Just, just take me. It wasn't a thought of suicide. It was just, I didn't care. Live or die, God, I don't care. I just don't care. Anger, depression. Your body releases cortisone. Too much cortisone causes your mind just to go into that place of depression. You've been injured in your soul. The release of that stress hormone brings you into a deep place of depression can be prolonged. Isolation, worst thing, not having people empathize with you, be there with you, isolation. Um, acceptance, finally. But also you've got to be careful that you don't go through distractions. Some people get married within three months of losing a loved one. And if you've done that, okay, you did it, you went through it. But don't do it if you haven't. It's too, it's too early. That's why they say don't do anything for a year. 
I understand a new relationship can be distracting. It can distract you away from the pain. It can cause those hormones of that new relationship, those, the, the pleasure. You know, you get that new relationship going, it's something special. And it's a distraction. You've got to be careful. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about grief. I'm going to give you these kind of in rapid fire, so take some notes or revisit this teaching and, and, and get these. Number one, we must go through grief. You have to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't escape it. You can't sidestep it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to go into the darkness and go through it in order to move forward. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we mourn, we know that comfort is on its way. Luke 6, 21 says, Blessed are those who weep now. They will laugh. We know that laughter is on its way. Number two, God is with us in our grief. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our grief and our sorrow. I think that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus became so sorrowful he wanted to die. He was carrying our sorrow and our grief. Not that we wouldn't feel it, but he shares in us with his, our grief so it doesn't crush us. My youngest son said to me after his mom died, grief is like a monster. And if I let it, it would destroy me. Jesus carried it so it won't destroy us. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. When you are brokenhearted, God is close to you. He's near to you. Psalms 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. I can tell you of so many strange things that happened when Lisa was sick. I had somebody tell me, I'm so sick of the devil taking people's lives. And I had to tell them, it's not like that. God was everywhere in her sickness, everywhere in her death. So evident we would say to each other on the way to the hospital or, or on the way to the doctor's office, I have that strange peace again. I think it's going to be bad news. And there would be just this strange peace when this bad news was given to us. He was with us in the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible says the death of his saints are precious in his eyes. Psalms 56, 8 says, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into a bottle. Are they not in your book? He keeps a record of our grief. He is so close to it. He helps us when we are grieving. Psalms 30, 11 says, You have turned my mourning to dancing. He will take our mourning. He will bring us through the process and He will turn our mourning into dancing. He will put off my sackcloth and He will clothe me with gladness. Moving from the grieving into the dancing and the grieving into the gladness is the natural way it happens, but you have to go through it. Your grieving will end. Revelation 21.4 says there will be no more grieving. Romans 8.18 says that the things of this world cannot be compared to the glory of eternity. And Proverbs 35 says his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I can tell you that I had a year and a half long dark night. But it, it lifted and joy came in the morning. What do you do when you're grieving? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Talk honestly with God. We'll see that Mary and Martha both do that. Tell him how you're feeling. I would add, try to be respectful. <laughs> but God can handle anything. 
I'm so thankful with that when I told God, I don't think you love me, that God didn't judge me at that moment. God knew what I was facing and going through. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.